You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Elected officials and appointed officials on school boards, county councils, voting commissions, they've had to endure a lot of angry public comments over the last few years. You probably learned about the Great Depression and the Great War in high school. We all got through the Great Recession in 2008. The last few years, Trump, the insurrection, the pandemic, it's led to the Great Unhinging. Evidence of the Great Unhinging is all over YouTube. Seriously, unwell people showing up at public meetings to heap abuse on elected officials, people freaking out about schools installing litter boxes for kids who identify as cats, which is not happening, or freaking out about vote fraud, which actually does happen, but rarely and never in enough numbers to throw an election. And invariably, when people do get caught committing vote fraud, they're Republicans, same as the people showing up to complain about vote fraud. I can't imagine the elected members of the Fort Lauderdale City Commission were shocked to see a woman in full fetish gear approach the mic during a public comment session about a million-dollar yard waste processing site. I mean, why would they be shocked? What could you do at a public meeting that would shock an elected official these days? The woman in the fetish gear with a slave on either side of her opens by saying she's neutral on the yard waste proposal before the commissioners but she wants to make a proposal of her own. I propose that you use a quarter of that mill to support doms and subs in Broward County to build a dungeon created for us by us, the taxpayers and voting citizens. In closing, do not let this glamorous look distract you from doing your duty to take my demand. I look forward to spanking each and every single one of you at the new esteemed dungeon. What's most shocking about this somehow isn't that the woman in full fetish gear with the slaves standing on either side of her offered to spank each and every one of Fort Lauderdale city commissioners. It's that compared to a lot of what we've seen going viral online at public meetings, She seems so reasonable and measured compared to the people going off about kitty litter boxes and boxes of pubic hair and disappearing ballot boxes. She's a taxpayer, as are other doms and subs in Fort Lauderdale. And if the city is going to build skate parks for skateboarders, and there are 10 skate parks in Fort Lauderdale when not everybody skates, why not one measly publicly funded dungeon for the kinksters? After the mistress finishes making her remarks, the chair of the meeting thanks her, wishes her a happy holiday, and then one of the commissioners puts a question to the city manager. City manager, are there any districts that have a dungeon? Not that I know of. Are there any dungeons in Fort Lauderdale? Well, Fort Lauderdale is a small town on the beach, just 200,000 people, but it's in Broward County, which is home to 2 million people, and it's a 30-minute drive from downtown Miami-Dade County, which is home to another 3 million people. BDSM fantasies are common. More than half of everyone has fantasies about domination and submission. 
And according to a study published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine, 30% of men and 36% of women fantasize about being spanked or whipped for sexual pleasure. And nearly half, half of nearly everybody fantasizes about tying someone up or being tied up themselves or both. Now, not everyone who fantasizes about being tied to the bed with silk neckties wants to visit a sex dungeon or will eventually build one in their basement, but it is a slippery slope. Most people with fully tricked out sex dungeons in their basements in Florida and elsewhere got their starts with neckties. So in answer to the city commissioner's question, yeah, I feel safe saying there is almost certainly at least one sex dungeon in Fort Lauderdale. Probably more than 10 in Broward County, as many sex dungeons as skate parks, and way more, way more than that if you toss in Miami-Dade County as well. None of these sex dungeons receive public money, and maybe that's unfair. There are more people into kink than pickleball, and cities are falling all over themselves right now building pickleball courts all over the country. Why not a few public dungeons? Well, I hear you say BDSM, kink, that's not like pickleball or skateboarding. It's not a recreational activity. It's a sexual activity. Well, another study also published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine took a look at a lot of the research being done into S&M. And a lot of that research suggests that BDSM really isn't so different from pickleball or skateboarding. Quote, recent studies have suggested that in contrast to traditional psychopathologic explanations, Bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, and sadomasochism, BDSM, could be understood as recreational leisure. The theoretical implications of BDSM as leisure are significant. More research is needed on the development of BDSM. The theoretical implications of BDSM as leisure are significant, the study concludes. Amazingly enough, this research into BDSM is being done at the University of Idaho, Idaho, of course, is a theocracy that borders Washington state. If word gets out that they're studying BDSM at a state school in Idaho and honing arguments there that could lead to the construction of publicly funded dungeons in Fort Lauderdale, I imagine we'll be seeing a video soon on YouTube with some lunatic shouting about it at a public meeting in Idaho. Because 2022 may be coming to an end, but the great unhinging... That's just getting started. All right, coming up on the Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love. Emily Post's great-great-grandchildren are here. Lizzie Post and Daniel Post, also like their great-great-grandmother in the etiquette business. They join me to talk about the etiquette of splitting up possessions after a breakup, how to end a friendship, and how to politely refuse your boyfriend's request to put him in a chastity device. That's on the Magnum Savage Lovecast. On the Micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. But if you want more Lovecast, go subscribe now at savage.love, where you will also find the full Savage Love column every week, also on Tuesday. This week's Savage Love is a quickies column, last quickies column of the year, my short and dirty answers to your quick and dirty questions. That's all available at savage.love. But now, let's get to the show. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com savage. This episode of the Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. 
Head on over to squarespace.com slash savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep, the best mattress for your individualized comfort. Right now, my listeners get up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a 36-year-old black cisgendered gay male with a question about an emerging sexual desire. About myself, I'm a soft-spoken dom in my relationships, I consider, and I almost always have dated white men. Uh, When I was in my early 20s, my taste was wider, and as I got older, instead of it so happens I'm dating a white guy, it's now I'm only attracted to white men, which I never admit in dating profiles or to friends because I don't want to view myself as that guy, but apparently I am. What's more is I've developed this secret, almost fetish for dangerous white men. It's in my head, primarily, the kind that might be violently and disrespectfully racist and might call me the N-word. If another black man were to tell me this, uh, I would gasp and wonder what his self-esteem issues are. Uh, When I do a check, uh, I don't feel inferior to white men. Um, This is... This does remind me of kind of like a reversal of the days when I was younger and pursued by black fetishists. And I loathed when they would turn me away when I wasn't urban or masculine or dominant enough and I didn't fit this mold. Uh, I'm not necessarily doing that because I'm not finding men who fit this idea. It's, it's, It's resting in my head. I do think of maybe experiencing this in reality in like a controlled setting, uh, maybe getting an escort who looks like a tobacco-chewing, Trump-voting Mountain Dew-drinking redneck. Uh, does this mean I have some deep psychological issue and I must tend with this? Or or is this kind of a one of those weird power reversal type things presenting itself in the form of race play? I know there's a fine line here. I get off to it in my head, But shit like this, I know, plays differently in real life, like incest scenes, uh, family scenes. In reality, oftentimes, it's disturbing. First, I need to know if this is normal. I got to know if it's harmful. Um, I don't want friends to know this because it's so fucked up. However, I toy with the idea of owning this uh, for what it is. I just got to know what it is. Is it normal? Sure. It's certainly common. Think of the woman who is a feminist who wants to have her hair pulled and be called a slut during sex by a partner that she chose. Think of the out-proud gay guy who is never more turned on than when he's sucking the dick of some guy who is calling him a faggot. Think of the powerful person, you know, the cliche is the CEO who goes to see a dominatrix because he wants to give up his power. There's something about transgressive role play during sex. There's something about what James McWhorter called on our show theatrical subjugation that is itself a category of turn-ons that seems to cut across all demographics and all sorts of different groups. So I am not at all surprised to hear that you as an out, proud, gay, black man who's a soft-spoken dom, that there's something about being with really this archetype of a shitty racist Trump-supporting tobacco-chewing mountain dude-drinking piece of shit. There's something about that 
that has started to worm its way into erotic subconscious over the last few years. And you want to play with that in a controlled setting. That's the most important thing. No one wants to be sucking the dick of a homophobe that starts calling him a faggot. No woman wants some person that they don't know and didn't choose and didn't give permission to, to start pulling her hair and calling her a slut with the right partner in the right context, in a controlled context. What would otherwise be experienced as a violation or a crime can be a turn on. So what do you do with this? You know, you ask if it's harmful and no, in controlled settings, it's not. Shame can be harmful though. Shame could prevent you from finding a controlled way to realize this fantasy. Shame could be the thing that leads you to, you know, one day disinhibiting with drugs or alcohol and then going for this in an uncontrolled, unsafe way to realize this fantasy. What you want to do is give your junk, give your dick, give your pussy what your dick or pussy wants and ultimately will have at a time and place of your choosing when you're thinking clearly. And that could be finding an escort who is the type and telling them you want to explore this kind of role play. But first you want to know who they actually fucking voted for in 2020 and 2016. It's a sort of role play that I wouldn't do with someone who had actually voted for Trump in either of those years. I would feel safer engaging in, this kind of role play with someone who was not hateful. You want your hair pulled and to have your ass slapped and to be called a slut by someone who isn't actually a misogynist that makes you feel safe playing in that space, stepping into it together. So is there something wrong with you? Uh, if this is something wrong with you, it's a common normal thing for a person to have wrong with them because you can identify exactly this kind of kink, kind of desire and so many different kinds of people and the way it's expressed is different based on the kinds of person experiencing this particular kind of transgressive desire for theatrical subjugation. Jack off about it, think about it and make a plan for how you can experience this in a way where you don't feel diminished and it's fine for this to be a secret. It's fine for this to be something that you keep to yourself. You don't need to share this with friends and family for it not to be shameful. This can be something that you feel fine with. I think you can give your dick what it wants and you can think about what it means that your dick wants this. And yeah, it says something bad. It doesn't indict you. It indicts the culture that you live in, the world you live in and that you have to navigate that would result in you having this particular kind of transgressive desire. But ultimately, I think transgressive desires are hardwired into the human experience. And if it wasn't this, you know, if we lived in a world that was free of racism, it would be something else. Your erotic imagination would have seized on something else and you would be calling me and asking me questions about that something else. And finally, you say this is something that you would never admit. And I just said, I don't think you have to admit it. When we have kinks and turn-ons that are clearly some part of our erotic imagination seizing on some cultural ill, it can be fine to keep that to ourselves, to, for that to be something we share with our sex partners that we trust. Because we don't want to 
reinforce these cultural ills. You know what I mean? That you can have your kinks and not contribute and experience them with a trusted partner that you feel safe engaging in this kind of role play with without putting it out there all over Twitter or all over dating apps or all over your pornography or any whatever else so that you don't contribute. You don't become a snowflake in that avalanche and contribute to the perpetuation of the kind of harms that resulted in you having this kink in the first place. But you shouldn't feel bad about having this kink. Like I said, if it wasn't this, it would be something. Hi, Dan and the gang. I just, as a trans man, got on Grinder because looking for some cock. <laughs> and, uh, well, gay cock, right, specifically, because I heard from another gay man that apparently on Grinder there are straight men looking for trans men because literally any vagina will do for them. That is the last thing I want, some straight guy seeing me as a woman and me not finding out until they're inside me and it's too late. So how can I filter out these desperate straight men on Grinder because I, I don't I want to disclose that I'm trans, but I don't want that to be an invitation to these fucking dudes. So what do I do? Help me. You work on perfecting your gaydar. That's what you have to do. You have to make your best guess, make your best judgment about an individual guy that you happen to be talking to. This is the first I've heard of straight men being on Grinder because they're just looking for pussy and they don't care if that pussy is attached to a man or not. Most straight men are kind of put off by male or male-coded secondary sex characteristics like flat chests and beards. And so you're probably not, I, I don't think, it almost sounds like an urban legend or you know something that's happened a handful of times and has been repeated and repeated and repeated because I haven't heard this. Of course, I'm not a trans guy on Grindr and I haven't had to pick through a bunch of responses from people who may have seemed too interested in my vagina, whatever you're comfortable calling the genitals that you were born with if you kept them. And it, you know, I suppose it could be a thing that happened or it happens with some regularity. Your only way to control for it is to ask to swap pictures, have a conversation, tell the person you're only interested in gay cock. You're not interested in, I guess, straight cock or Bicock, you want to be with somebody who's excited to be with you as a trans man and is into you and into your body, but not into your pussy as if it were, you know, a woman's pussy. Because it's not a woman's pussy. It's a man's pussy. And those guys are certainly out there. And I know some of those guys. I have some gay male friends who are so into not objectifying, not dehumanizing, not chasing, but open to and into trans guys and have really come to dig men's pussies. So those guys are out there too. I mean, you don't want to be with somebody who's indifferent to your genitals. You want to be with somebody who's excited to be with you and excited to be inside you. Will you be able to ensure at all times that it is never the case if you have a lot of casual or relatively anonymous sex off grinder that there isn't someone inside you who is between his own ears, a straight guy taking advantage of grinder. There's no hundred percent guarantee that that can't happen. If that's what a straight guy is on grinder doing, I think the odds, what, you know, your stated fear that he'll blurt that out while he's inside you. Oh my God, this is so awesome. By the way, I'm straight. 
even if it were the case that you wound up in bed with a straight guy and that straight guy's straight cock wound up inside your men's pussy, I think the odds are low that that's something that he's going to blurt out at that moment. Otherwise, you're just going to have to trust your gaydar and put it out there that you're only interested in gay men, that you only want to get with other gay men, cis gay men, in your case, since you're looking for gay cock. And then, you know, if a straight guy somehow manages to make it past, make it through your gaydar, he'll know to keep his mouth shut about being a straight guy. Some general advice for the new year. Check in with yourself before offering to help someone else. Rest when you need to rest. Ask for what you need. And say yes to more things that make you feel good. Things like Dipsy. Transport your mind to a world where you can relax and indulge your ultimate fantasies and deepest desires with Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. At Dipsy, they bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. Radically inclusive, Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. And now, they even have sexy vampires. That new vampire show turning you on, Dipsy will get you all the way off. New content released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories that you can read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. Let them know the lovecast sent you, dipsystories.com slash savage. Hey, Dan. I'm a 36-year-old bisexual woman who's been married to a husband for... 10 years and with him for 17. With my husband's love and support, I've also had a girlfriend for about 14 months. Due to many professional and personal reasons, she and I have kept our relationship fairly quiet and most people in our lives aren't aware of it. I've recently let all my siblings know about this relationship and the fact that I'm asexual and they've been really, really supportive and excited for me. I haven't, however, spoken to my parents about my sexual orientation or this relationship mostly because of the beliefs they've shared with me about um, people who aren't straight. They are a big part of the reason why I didn't fully identify as bisexual until about three or four years ago, despite the fact I'd had crushes on girls growing up. Last summer, my mom told me that her view was that people were only lesbians because they'd either been abused by males or because they were raised by lesbians. And thank God we didn't have to deal with that in my family. My question is, now that I'm very comfortable with my sexuality and my relationship, is it my job to come out to my parents to help educate them on the realities of people who aren't straight? If I do, do you have any suggestions on how I start? Well, it's not my job to come out to your parents. Yeah, yeah, of course it's your job to come out to your parents. And you can, as an adult, rationalize never coming out to your parents because your parents are shitty about queer people, shitty about lesbians in particular, sounds like, but shitty about queer people generally. And if 
that was the standard. You know, if nobody ever came out to their parents ever because their parents were shitty about queer people, then nobody would have probably come out to their parents ever because most parents, particularly decades ago, were pretty shitty about queer people. And parents who are shitty about queer people have a way of saying shitty things about queer people in front of their kids that they do not know yet to be queer. And so... Yeah, yeah, it's on you to come out to your parents and tell them the truth. And it's going to be easier for you than for some other queer young people. You know, you're no longer dependent on your parents. You don't live at home with your parents. You're not in high school. Uh, and it's going to be easier than it would be for a lot of queer adults who have to come out to their parents who may be shitty about the queer thing because your siblings are in your corner and on your side. You're going to come out to your mom and dad your mom and dad are going to say shitty, hateful, ignorant things. You're going to tell them they're wrong. You're going to answer all their questions. This is standard advice from me to people coming out to their parents, regardless of your age. You come out to them. You give them a year to ask all the shitty questions, say all the shitty things, have their tantrum. And if after that year they can't treat you with decency and respect and courtesy, if they can't come around partly, if not wholly in that time, don't see your parents. Your presence as an adult is the leverage you have over your family of origin. And the trick that you need, the, the, the turn you need to make, the pivot you need to make in your head is a pivot that a lot of queer young people, queer adults thinking about coming out to their families need to make, which is you hesitate to come out to your family right now because you fear your parents' rejection. You need to make them fear yours particularly you're a grown-ass adult woman, parents are going to hit a place in their lives where they kind of become kids, where they're dependent on their adult children to come over and turn on a fucking toaster, much less get them on the internet or help them, you know, in my case, I can't do it at my advanced age, turn on the fucking television. I have to call in the cavalry whenever I want to turn on the television. Your parents are going to need you. And yeah, I think you should weaponize that need to get your parents off the hateful bullshit that your parents have been stuck on all this time. So yeah, it is your job as an adult queer person to come out to your parents. And I think you know that. I think you called in looking for a little bit of a nudge, which is why I'm being a little bit of maybe an impatient nudge today. You need to come out to them. And you set the ball rolling by coming out to your siblings. And I think you need to get out in front of that ball because if your siblings, plural, all know you're queer, odds are that one of them is going to say something in front of mom and dad uh, because they don't know mom and dad are in the room or because they just get sloppy. You know, your relatives, if you're out to some of them but not all of them, can lose track of who you're out to and who you're not. And so at a certain point, you got to over up and come out to all of them. And, you know, people sometimes rationalize not coming out to their parents, not coming out to their family because their family is shitty. Your parents said shitty things about queer people in front of you when you were young. And it hurt you. It harmed you. It put you in this position now where you're even still afraid to come out to your parents. If you don't challenge them on that, what shitty things are your parents saying right now? Setting aside the shitty people your parents may be voting for right now. But what shitty things are your parents saying in front of your nieces in front of your 
nephews, in front of other family members, young people that could be doing the same damage to them, the same shitty things your parents said to you when you were young and vulnerable and those shitty things that they said really did hurt you. Don't let your parents hurt other young people in your family. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Honey, you are so amazing. And you don't let the world know about all the work you've been doing and the stuff you've been selling. I would take it on for you, but I'm busy. Just let Squarespace help. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Stand out with a beautiful website. Engage with your audience and sell anything. Your products, content you create, and even your time. You guys, mailing lists are hard. You do not want to try and organize this aspect of your promotion yourself. Squarespace does it perfectly. Get the right message to the right people, collect email addresses through your website, and send subscribers the information that they care about most with unique mailing lists. What about videos? Create pro-level videos effortlessly. The Squarespace Video Studio app helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story and grow your audience and drive sales. And it's time for social time. Display posts from your social profiles on your website. Automatically push website content to your favorite social media channels so your followers can share it too. This is all just the tip of the iceberg. If you want your website to work well and look beautiful, Squarespace has you covered. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We like it when you do this. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage. Hi, this is a 32-year-old woman from Texas. I just recently had a medication abortion, which was in itself a whole ordeal because I live in Texas. During this whole process, I was almost duped by a crisis pregnancy center, which happens to be where my mother works. They are posting on Google and anytime you search anything related to abortion or anything of that sort, their page comes up immediately in front of any other reputable information. My mom is the one that performs the sonograms on women at these clinics. I can't even call them clinics. They're facades for clinics, but because I was almost duped by this system of frauds, I'm so livid at my mother. The fact that she is okay um, working for an organization that is providing false information and false hope for people who are in a genuinely difficult position, it just makes me look at her differently. Can I continue a relationship with her knowing that she's a part of these frauds. If you want to read something that'll make your blood boil, go read the Crisis Pregnancy Center, I guess, information sheet at Planned Parenthood. There are 4,000 of these all across the United States. They're not regulated. Their websites are crammed with misinformation. And then there's the misinformation that comes out of their mouths when they are counseling women who are pregnant and in crisis. And they get federal funding through abstinence, education, and marriage promotion programs that just 
zombie their way along from one administration to the next. Barack Obama tried to put a stop to flushing federal funds down the toilet for abstinence education programs that backfired and couldn't do it to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars throughout the Obama administration. Obama who came in, you know, you have to make deals in politics. You can't get everything that you want. I'm not faulting Barack Obama for not creating a kind of utopia, but Obama who came in saying we're going to restore science to its rightful place in our politics kept having to flush money down the toilet on abstinence education and abstinence programs that also went to pregnancy crisis centers like the one where your mom works. That suck in women by fuck Google for taking their money by paying to be the top return when somebody Googles, I'm pregnant and I need an abortion. And the first place that pops up, the first place they might get sent is a pregnancy crisis center where some nice woman does an ultrasound. And I believe, and maybe this is apocryphal, maybe this is urban legend, that some of these ultrasounds, they produce fake images of fetuses that are farther along in development to terrorize and guilt trip women because their mission, their goal is to, at all costs, of course, all costs being imposed on the pregnant woman in crisis for whom the best possible choice may be to terminate that pregnancy. It is at all costs to bully, manipulate that woman into not having that abortion, to delay having an abortion. Some pregnancy crisis centers have been caught telling women that they could get an abortion, might schedule an abortion in an effort to run out the clock in states that have 16 or 22 week limits, abortion bans after 16 or 22 weeks, they're obnoxious. And it is sad that your mother is a pro-lifer who would work in a place like that. I think you should come out to your mom about having had a medication abortion. I think you should come out to your mom and have the throw down argument with your mom about what the fuck it is that she's doing. The thing about a lot of pro-lifers is they don't have any inhibitions about screaming and yelling at their pro-choice or presumed to be pro-choice or pro-life family members. There is this kind of aggression that characterizes the right that whatever issue it might be, they can loudly lecture, you know, fly their fucking Trump flags. Uh, and we all have to just kind of eat it. And if we push back, if we argue as vociferously for our positions, well, then we're, you know, not allowing them to act on or have their precious religious or whatever else wise beliefs. And, you know, engaging with right-wing lunatics about your politics isn't always an attractive proposition. You don't want to get in a screaming match with some trumper, but a screaming match with your mother about abortion, when you've had an abortion, when a quarter of all women, American women have had an abortion and 60% of those women who've had abortions are mothers. They had an abortion because they already had kids, already had as many kids as they could take care of. <sighs> Got to stand up to the bullies. Even when the bullies come in a nice gingham dress disguise, I don't know what kind of person your mother is. You don't say that she's toxic in other ways or malevolent in other ways. Maybe it's just this. There's a lot of people out there on the pro-life side who have a kind of sentimental misunderstanding 
or gauzy view on who gets abortions, why they might get abortions, or why a woman might need an abortion. And you got to get in their faces sometimes and argue with them. And, you know, some stranger on the street arguing with your mother out in front of her pregnancy crisis center, if Narol or somebody else should show up to protest it, that's going to bounce off your mother. You talking to your mother about the abortion you had and why and why she's doing what she's doing and why it's wrong, that could break through. That could have an effect on your mother. And if she's not a shitty person in every other way, this is a pretty shit way to be a shitty person. This is pretty shitty. But if she's not a shitty person in other ways, you can still have a relationship with your mother. Sometimes having relationships with your relatives or children who aren't shitty in the way you're shitty can over the long term create a kind of cognitive dissonance that moves a person off their shitty positions. It doesn't always happen instantaneously or right away, but I can't tell you how many friends I have, people my age, people in their 40s and 50s, whose parents were right-wing conservatives 20 years ago and just engaging with their parents the day in, day out of having a relationship with an adult child who's a feminist or who's out and gay or who is pro-choice or who is not voting for Republican dirtbags moved their parents. And then one day they kind of realized that their parents were saying things that would have shocked them to hear come out of their parents' mouth 20 years ago and voting for people that it would have shocked them had their parents voted for those persons, you know, for Democrats for the most part, 20 years ago. So don't go into this conversation that I really do think you should have with your mother with the expectation that your mother's going to pull some sort of 180. Go into this conversation with the hope that in time, your mother will one day surprise you. If not a full 180, close. Mattresses. When you think about how much time you spend on your mattress every night, and then you think about how long you stick with one mattress, you should get the best mattress you can. And that mattress, without question, is a Helix Sleep mattress. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. There are 14 unique mattresses in the Helix lineup, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made for kids. Everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. They have models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side like I do, models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support for you stomach and back sleepers out there. Plus, they have enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night, which is really important for sleepers like me who are married to sleepers who heat up like furnaces at night like Terry does. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top, the perfect combo of comfort and support. I took the Helix Sleep Quiz and was matched with a Midnight Luxe mattress because I wanted something that had medium firmness. And Terry and I, we both tend to move around a lot at night. We don't want to wake each other up each time one of us starts moving around. The medium firmness mattress ensured that we can move around at night individually without waking everybody up. I don't even want to remember our old mattress. Good riddance. 
to that thing. Not only is our Helix mattress the best I've ever slept on, and not just slept on, but the setup was fast and easy. Helix mattresses are delivered in a box straight to your door for free. Plus, Helix mattresses are American-made and come with a 10- or 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. If you don't love it, I know you're going to love it, but if you don't love it, they will pick it up for you and give you a full refund. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash savage. Let them know the love cast sent you. Helixsleep.com slash savage. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-year-old man. I uh, am coming to the realization that I need to break up with my girlfriend. Uh, Our relationship is two years old now. We've been just kind of slowly getting more like toxic and messed up. And a big part of it for me is that she is just way too um, emotionally dependent on me, really like insecure and wants me to do everything for her. And I could go on and on about why I want to break up with her. But my question is, how should I do it? I've kind of tried to break up with her a couple of times over the last couple of months, and she has sort of manipulated me, coerced me into, like, not doing it. And by manipulation and coercion, I mean, like, she'll stand in front of the door, not let me leave. Like, to the point where it's like either I'm going to get into a, you know, physical confrontation with her or I'm going to stay inside or I got to call the cops or whatever, right? So I really want out of this relationship. I I need to for my sanity. My question is, how should I do it? Because I know it's just going to be a a mess if I try and do it in person. And I know that she'll harass me and I know that she'll blow up my phone. And like, I know all these things will happen. The thing, though, is that I'm watching her place right now because she's away across the country seeing her family and she's going to be gone for a couple of weeks. And I'm taking care of the cat. I've kind of thought maybe the only clean way that I can get out of this without all that manipulation and coercion and phone harassment and blah, 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 is I just need to get all my shit out of her place while she's still gone and I'm supposed to pick her up at the airport. But I think maybe like before she comes back, I'm just going to tell her like the day before I'm going to say we're done. And I'm sorry, I'm not picking you up. You're going to have to get an Uber or something. And I know she's capable of doing that. She has money for it and all that. You know, I know she's not, I'm not going to strand her. And that seems so rude and so crass. (laughs) But the thing is, is that it's not going to happen any other way. And I don't want to be so callous like that because I do care about her, you know. But I just think she's just going to be insane. If I do it any other way and I'm not going to get out of it and then the fucking cops are going to end up getting called. So I don't know, Dan, what would you do? I was so relieved to hear you say that you're watching her place while she's gone to see family. That means you don't share an apartment. That means you still have your own place. Get your shit out of her apartment. Move your shit to your own place, leave enough food out for the cat for a couple of fucking days. Cats get by for a couple of fucking days without seeing a human. And call her on the way home, when she's on her way home. It might even be the kinder thing to do to let her fucking land at the airport so that she's not a mess on the plane 
and tell her it's over and you've gotten your stuff and you do not want to see her and block her numbers. You don't owe somebody who the last couple of times you tried to end the relationship physically prevented you from leaving the room, stood in the doorway, tried to escalate to some sort of physical confrontation. You know, if you tried to get past her or pushed past her to get out of the apartment, what would have happened then? Yeah, no, you got to call her. I, I don't even, don't think I should call this a bluff. You just have to stop putting up with this bullshit. You tried to do it face to face. You weren't able to because she wouldn't let you. So she doesn't deserve a face-to-face -face breakup. She can't be trusted with a face-to-face -face breakup like an adult. She deserves the text message that she gets when she lands, letting her know where the keys to her apartment are or that she tossed them back in the mail slot, letting her know the cat's fine, but letting her know that it is over and you are gone and you would rather not hear from her again. And there's nothing to discuss. You do not need somebody's consent to end a relationship. Ending something, breaking up with somebody is the only thing about a relationship where the other person's consent is immaterial. You don't have to win an argument to end a relationship. And you shouldn't have to best somebody in a threatened physical confrontation to end a relationship. Leave some food out for the cat, throw the keys back through the window or whatever, send her a text message when her plane lands, letting her know she'll need to get an Uber because you will not be picking her up because it is over. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's not read the tweets. Let's read a few comments on last week's podcast, Left at Savage.love. In response to the guy who went out looking for sex workers in his area by Googling sex workers in my area and found scammers instead, a listener writes, finding a sex worker is actually super easy. Look for them on Twitter or at WeAreTrist or at Trist.link. Make sure they have followers and a website. See someone who asks for your real-world information. Now, it was sharing real-world information that got my caller into trouble, but that's still good advice, particularly the part, and I've given this advice before, about looking for sex workers who are active to the extent they can be active and have not been driven off of social media. Zoftig writes, I think Dan was right that the caller who came extremely quickly during PIV but not during other forms of sex didn't have much of a problem coming quickly with a partner who doesn't like PIV and lasting a long time with a partner who does. That's basically a superpower. Indeed it is. And finally, Robbie writes, at one point, the caller with a question about non-binary people suggested that being non-binary wasn't a solution for misogyny. Of course it's not. Neither is being a man or a woman, nor is transitioning. Being non-binary is something that people are, just like being a man or a woman. I may have my doubts about the specific non-binary guy the caller mentioned, but there are just people who are not men or women in the exact same way that there are people who are men or women. It's as simple as that. All right, if you want me to read your comment, your email, or your DM on next week's show, don't tweet it at me as we're not reading tweets around here anymore. The best place to leave your comment on the show, if you want to make sure I see it, is the comment thread for each show that you'll find at savage.love. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Dan Savage and on Post News, where I am at Fake Dan Savage. All right, now listener response calls. Hey, Dan, for the caller that called in who was having a hard time achieving orgasm and maintaining an erection, 
with condoms after the pandemic and fluid bonding. Um, I wanted to mention I had kind of a similar experience. Um, and then I ended up picking up some fitted condoms. Um, and turns out my dick is really wide. And like every condom I'd ever used was literally choking the life out of my erection. When I moved to fitted condoms, uh, it was a huge, huge game changer for me. Um, I actually don't mind using them now. They work really well. I can wear them as long as I want. And I do use Viagra sometimes as well to help with that. But it was a big, big deal. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to the short king, the 5'4 guy who's newly dating again, who was feeling bad about his height. And I just want to reiterate that, yeah, there's a lot of short women out there who would love a short guy. I'm 5'2". I don't like dating guys who are above like 5'8 or 9 because it's weird and it feels like I'm somebody's little sister. And I just like being with somebody whose like, face I can reach and I can kiss them without it being uncomfortable. So keep at it. You're going to find somebody awesome who may or may not also be short. And just put five, six on your dating profile. Give yourself a little advantage, and then when people meet you, it'll be great. Hey, Dan. Calling in about episode 843. As a toddler mom and a solo mom, I can tell you absolutely the product placement was spot on. I'm the one buying a toddler toothbrush, not my kid. And I'm also the one who needs a little bit of a break from time to time by myself. So I hate to be the person to ruin the truther, but toddler moms need some privacy and fun time too. And we're going to leave it there. We're going to leave this week's Lovecast there, and we are going to leave 2022 Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064 and you can record your question or comment directly at my website, savage.love. From now until the end of the year, gift Magnum Savage Lovecast subscriptions for only 25 bucks for an entire year of $15 saving. That's a year's worth of the Magnum Savage Lovecast the maxi savage love column exclusive live events and more go to savage.love slash subscribe for all the information that you need follow me on instagram at fake dan savage to learn more about our guests today lizzie post and daniel post Senning, and to order their new book emily post's etiquette the centennial edition go to emilypost.com the savage love cast is produced every week by nancy hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and nancy we will all be back at you in the new year with more installments more episodes of the savage love cast happy new year to everybody and we will see you we will be back in your earbuds in january